0: Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Nidrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Aviva Richmond. Let's listen. Seeds of slavery. Where does our story of slavery begin? In Parshat Shemot, Pharaoh enslaves the people of Israel, but we can point to earlier critical moments that might set this into motion. These are times when our own ancestors mistreated or enslaved others, perhaps laying the groundwork for the kind of oppression that would end up enslaving us. Noticing these moments is not about telling a story where slavery is the fault of the enslaved, but about becoming aware of how our choices about how to exercise power shape the communities and world our descendants will inhabit. The first foreshadowing of our affliction at the hands of the Egyptians is when Sarah afflicts her Egyptian maidservant Hagar This mistreatment is not unfounded. It is in response to Hagar disrespecting her. But even so, some commentaries critique Sarah's behavior and see it as the root cause of later mistreatment of the Jewish people. Indeed, Radak describes Sarah's mistreatment of Hagar in terms that foreshadow Israel's slavery in Egypt, he says she was excessive and made her do back-breaking labor, Befarach. In parashat Shemot, too, we see that the Egyptians enslaved Israel with back-breaking labor. Though Radak does not say this explicitly, the similarity in language suggests he sees Israel's slavery in Egypt as parallel to, and perhaps in part due to, Sarah's treatment of Hagar. Radak goes on to emphasize Avraham's error as well in not reigning in Sarah's actions. While Sarah may not have been fully able to control herself because of her own feelings of hurt and disrespect, perhaps Avraham, having not been personally offended, carried the responsibility to intervene. A second foreshadowing moment is when Yosef's brothers sell him to the caravan of merchants on their way to Egypt. They are the first to create the reality of an Israelite slave in Egypt. Potiphar's wife refers to Yosef in these terms, calling him the Hebrew slave of Perhaps this act of cruelty is part of what led all their descendants to become Hebrew slaves in Egypt. Finally, we might trace back to Yosef enslaving all of the Egyptians as an origin of our slavery at their hands. Since Yosef has a monopoly on all the food in Egypt, the Egyptians come to him and beg him to continue to sustain them as the famine worsens. In their desperation, they ask that they and their land become slaves of Pharaoh, of Vadim Le Paro, so they won't die of starvation. And Yosef puts this into effect. The idea that our slavery in Egypt came as a result of our own earlier acts of mistreatment surfaces explicitly in the brothers' interaction with Yosef after their father dies at the end of Sefer Brashit. When the brothers confront Yosef afraid that he actually hates them and will act on that hatred now that their father has died, they offer themselves as slaves. Some commentaries see this offer as their proposal for fair punishment, an echo of our second foreshadowing moment. Since we sold you as a slave, enslave us. The brothers assume it would be entirely reasonable for Yosef to enslave them since they sold him into slavery. They offer themselves as slaves to Yosef specifically, perhaps even so as to avoid a worse punishment, such as him selling them to some other Egyptian. How might we have expected Yosef to respond to his brother's offer? He has dreamed that his brothers would bow down to him, On Yaakov's deathbed, he blessed Yosef with ruling over his brothers, and he oversaw the enslavement of all regular Egyptians in return for supporting them in the famine. He might have very reasonably come to the conclusion that his brothers are, in fact, meant to serve him. Like he responded affirmatively when the Egyptians offered to be slaves, he could have just as easily, and maybe even more justifiably, accepted this offer from his brothers." We certainly haven't seen God step in and explicitly communicate to Yosef that he should do anything else. In this way, the brothers' offer to become Yosef's slaves weaves together the second and third examples of the origins of Israel's slavery, their selling Yosef as a slave and Yosef's enslavement of the Egyptians. Given this context, it is striking that Yosef does not enslave his brothers right then and there. In contrast to Sarah's treatment of Hagar. Yosef's behavior here represents restraint, even when he could and did exercise much harsher control over someone in his power. The commentary Davar understands Yosef as outrightly rejecting any dominion over his brothers in principle. Behind Yosef's response to his brothers, am I in place of God? He hears echoes of the verse in Sefer Vayikra, for Israel are servants to me, they are my servants. As servants of God, they cannot be enslaved to any other person. Instead of getting totally wrapped up in his own power and amplifying his position as much as possible, Yosef shows humility and restraint. Another commentary, Rabbi B'chaya, makes this point even more strongly. Yosef fears God and sees himself as subservient to God. He is, in effect, a servant. He therefore cannot imagine placing his brothers as his own subservient. How do we make sense of Yosef's humility and restraint on his own power in response to his brothers in light of his willingness to enslave the entirety of the Egyptian people? There are two ways to approach the glaring differences in his enslavement of the Egyptians and generosity to his brothers. Ramban takes one path, stressing that Yosef was generous with the Egyptians and actually did not fully enslave them. The Hebrew word Eved has some flexibility between servant and slave. According to Ramban, Yosef only bought their land, but not their bodies. They would be sharecroppers rather than slaves. And even as sharecroppers, Yosef was generous, allowing them to keep the majority of the produce that usually belongs to the owner, four-fifths, and giving Pharaoh only one-fifth, a reversal of the usual arrangement, where the sharecropper keeps only one-fifth. They were enslaved only in as much as they were obligated to continue working the land in perpetuity, not that Pharaoh could force them to do whatever he wanted or afflict them as slaves. On the other hand, another commentary, the bechor Shor, emphasizes that the Egyptians had become fully enslaved. He sees the origins of Israel's slavery in Parshat Shemot coming from the Egyptians' complaints about differential treatment. He says, they came with an accusation against Israel, all the Egyptians serve the king, but you don't serve him. Therefore, since the Egyptians provide the grain, you provide the storehouses to put it in. This is the backstory for why the Egyptians forced the Israelites to build pitom and Ramses, the storehouses for Pharaoh, according to this commentary. This comment is eye opening in how we understand the entirety of the Exodus story. The Israelites' enslavement isn't in the context of everyone else being free. They were living in a society where nearly everyone was a slave, and they had only managed to avoid it thus far because of special privilege. This status was entirely unsustainable to think it is possible to be free while embedded in a culture of oppression. The pressure came from the Egyptians all around them. Why were they all enslaved to Pharaoh, but the Israelites free? The people of Israel could no longer live in this fantasy, and so they too became enslaved. Yosef's admirable restraint saved his brothers, but in the end, this was only temporary. Our ancestors' misdeeds and the context of the society of slavery Yosef put into effect doomed the people of Israel to experience slavery themselves. Understanding the enslavement of Israel through the lens of these key decision points for our own ancestors, we see that slavery doesn't come out of the blue. The structures of power in any given moment can be traced back to the complexity of how power was navigated in earlier generations. We see in our ancestral line a grave error as Sarah showed a lack of discipline in her own exercise of power, even as she harbored legitimate feelings of hurt and disrespect. And we see the error of Avram's lack of intervention, enabling this oppressive behavior. Yosef's brothers managed to avoid the full repercussions of selling Yosef into slavery, as Yosef does not enslave them, but their descendants will not remain in this state of reprieve. On the backdrop of Yosef enslaving the Egyptians, the people of Israel will suffer for their ancestors' misdeeds. Our own slavery comes on the heels of a string of abuses of power, and in the context of a society already steeped in slavery and oppression. At the same time, we have the seeds of redemption, as Yosef does not enslave his brothers. Seeing beyond his own ego and power with a sense of humility, empathy, and serving a larger purpose. When we read our Exodus story, we have to understand that it is the Exodus of only some of many slaves in Egypt. Remembering where the story begins, we can be urged to take note of how our decisions of how to use power will have serious implications for the future, and hopefully we can be inspired to live up to Yosef's conviction that people serve only God, not others. Even more fully than he himself lived this out, we'll close with a melody, Min Hamitzar, by Rabbi Michael Rosenberg. <laughs>
1: Din, <Sings> din, 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 da. Min ha Anani va merkamia. Min karatia Anani. nai 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 ya na ni na ni ni